exploring the faith, life, and sport of Christians in sport. This is FLS. Here's your host, Brea Burrell. Hello and welcome to this episode of the FLS podcast. Today, hearing about the journey of former South African international cricketer, Johan Bota from playing junior cricket, making his test debut, but then having his bowling action questioned. He'll share about captaining his country, his faith, and what he's doing with cricket these days. Welcome to FLS, to Johan Boata. Now, of course, I want to talk to you about a whole bunch of things about your faith, life, and your sport. Firstly, about that, where did your love of cricket come from at, at, at a young age? Um, I think it's just playing backyard cricket with my brother and sister. They were quite a bit older than me. And, uh, you know, my dad played club cricket for, you know, a very long time. Um, so, yeah, you know, like I said, I was quite a bit younger and I had to just be the fielder probably for the first five, six, seven years. Um, so I would just collect balls and go and fetch balls and stuff like that. I hardly ever batted and bowled. And, um but yeah, that's how it started. And then, you know, once um, I was a little bit older, probably 10, 11, I would always have my cricket bag in the car just in case someone at the cricket club didn't rock up. And um, yeah, same thing again. I was basically, you know, batting 11, didn't bowl, but I was just there to field. Um, and I suppose that's over the years sort of where my love for fielding probably came from. Um so yeah, that that's how it started for me. And then you sort of get a little bit older, twelve, thirteen, you you know, start forming your own game and start playing underage cricket and you know, from there you you take it. And and where was it, I suppose, in that progression uh with your cricket that was it in your teenage years where you think, uh, look, I I might be able to go somewhere with, with my cricketing career? Uh yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I played you had to play a winter sport. So that was rugby mm-hmm. and like rugby union in South Africa. Um, and I played that and I wasn't too bad at it, but it was never my favorite. And it was always just cricket. I, I enjoyed cricket. Um, you know, I think it's sort of starting to realize when you um, get selected for representative teams, you know, it's actually going okay. And then you go to another team and, you know, under 15, under 17, um, state under 18s essay schools and then you start thinking well there could be something yeah and you know then you get selected for the national academy with you know some of the best players sort of between age 19 and 23 in south africa and and you know from there you'd play professional cricket and, and that's how it sort of progressed i want to ask you more about your cricketing career in a second but firstly can we can we pull things back you mentioned about your brother and sister, who makes up the Botta family? And um, we're, we're talking to you, you're actually in Australia now, so obviously you're, you're more immediate family as well, if you can share. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my, my sister um, was, uh, I need to work this out always. So she was year 12 when I started junior school. My brother went to a high school. So that's the gap. So wow. there's a 12-year gap between me and my sister and my brother is a seven-year gap. So that's why I said I was, you know, four or five years old and I was only the fielder, but they were quite a bit bigger. Um, so, yeah, and then my mom and dad still live in South Africa, um, little town just outside Port Elizabeth. And then in Australia, it's my wife, Monica, and Austin, who's 12, just started high school, and Ashley, who's in year five. And 
your Christian faith, was that something that you had growing up with your family in South Africa or was it um, something uh, you came to faith later on in life? No, I think it was growing up. Um, you know, that was sort of the thing to do, um, you know, go to church on Sundays. and But I, I suppose realizing it for myself only came a little bit later. So you sort of, you know, not to make it sound bad, but you tag along for the first while when you're young and you just go to church because that's what the family does. Um, but yeah, it was sort of when I was 17, 18. And it's hard for me to pinpoint the exact moment, but something just changed. And, um, you know, but like I said, I've, I've always gone to church, um, but it probably became a little bit more real when I got older. And um, we want to talk a bit more about that in a sec. Let's jump back into your, your cricket career. Um, you talked about progressing through those rep teams back in South Africa. And then how does it work in South Africa? Is there, there state teams before you, you then make the national team? Yeah, back, back in the day, it was provincial teams. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there were 11 provinces. So you play underage cricket for those provinces. And then... Um, you know, sort of around 96 to the early 2000s, there were quite a lot of academies. I think that was probably came from the Australian model, um, you know, with the National Academy being in Adelaide. And um, South Africa sort of started, you know, tapping into that. And every province almost had their own academy. So, and then there was a National Academy, like the High Performance Centre, basically in Brisbane. Um, so I got to go to all of those. And then, um, you know, I just became a professional sportsman sort of straight out from school, which, you know, it's lucky to, to get that opportunity straight away. Um, because I think in that two or three or four years straight off the school, that's where, you know, a lot of decent players get lost. They have to decide, you know, is cricket going anywhere or do I actually have to, you know, get a job? And then cricket sort of slowly dies down. They play a bit of club cricket and then eventually five, six, seven years after school, they don't play any cricket anymore. But, you know, I was lucky enough to go straight to professional. Um, and yeah, you know, made it a almost a 20-year career. We know you as a, as a spin bowler, but it wasn't always the case. I believe you started off bowling as a, as a pace bowler. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's right. I, I bowled pace probably for the first five years of my professional career uh, until age 23, then had a back injury and had to decide, do I change my action or do I change my style? And, um, you know, I had a few influences at that time. Mickey Arthur was South African coach. Mark Voucher um, was the wicketkeeper, Justin Kemp. So I played with Justin quite a bit at, at the provincial level and he played international cricket. And those three guys basically said to me, you know, if you want to hopefully make it further, you might have to change the spin because there was only really... Nick Kibuya, Paul Harris. So they were two left-arm orthodox spinners in South Africa and uh, no off spinners. So, you know, took their advice and it took me about a year to, from changing to make my uh, international debut. So it was a quick turnover. Um, but yeah, obviously looking back, it, it was the right decision. You know, I might have been just a first-class player for I don't know how many years have I just bowled medium pace. But, um, you know, spin worked well for me. Um, and you mentioned about that debut. Your test debut was actually against Australia back uh, January 2006 um, at the SCG. Mike Hussey was your first wicket. Can you share some memories about that game, please? 
Yeah, I got asked this question, you know, a little while ago, and, and I still maintain, you know, you're young and you almost play it down and you think, well, that's just another game. Um, where you know these days with all the hype that gets made around debuts and, you know, social media and everyone's following and families on the field and things like that, there was none of that. You know, I, I flew in from South Africa on the 28th of December um, I think they'd lost the first two tests, so they were looking to make a change and, um, you know, landed in Sydney and then three days later make my test debut. So it, it happened very quickly. Um, I played five ODIs in November in, in India before that um, 2006 test match. Um, but, yeah, things happened very quickly and, and it wasn't all that fast like it is these days. So, you know you just took it in your stride sort of thing. Maybe if it happened three, four, five years later and you sort of start thinking a bit more about things, you know, then it might've been a little bit different, but for me, it was just, it's another game, you know, obviously you're playing, it's a very good team, but um, you just do your thing and, and hopefully it's good enough. Was it, um, can you remember obviously making that test debut for South Africa in Australia, but can you maybe, was it a bit more special if when, when you played your first test back home in South Africa? I actually never played a test in, oh, in South okay. Africa. That's the one sort of thing I, you know, wish could have been different. I played my five tests all outside the country. So one in Australia, I think two or one in Bangladesh, two in the UAE against Pakistan and one in the West Indies. So the, the one in the West Indies in 2010 was my last test match. Now, going back to that test match in 2006, it was... Then when you were reported for, for throwing the ball at the conclusion of the match, um, can we ask about that? And was that then distracting for your career over those sort of coming, uh, the, the, the few months afterwards? Um, yeah, it, it was something to work through, obviously. You know, like I said it to someone this morning again, it's a different type of pressure. You know, it's not competing with a batsman. It's basically bowling for your career to to stay on the field. So it was definitely a different and bigger pressure than just playing the game. Um, but yeah, straight away from there. So that happened in the January test match. I still played a few ODIs after that in the triangular series against Sri Lanka. Because back in the day, you had basically two weeks to go for a test, which we did in Perth. And then it takes another two weeks for the results to come, come out. So in that month, you basically not guilty until proven otherwise. <laughs> and so I was allowed to still play, but then the results came out and, and for the rest of that season, so that would have been uh, early Feb till the end of March when the South African domestic season was on, I just played as a batsman. I just mm. didn't bowl at all, played as a batsman for three or four games. And then once the season finished, so April, we started, you know, remodeling. I would go to the... Um, uh, what is it called? With Tim Lux is in Cape Town. The it's not this, the Sports Institute. It's uh, anyway, it's a sports science um, mm. in in Cape Town, and um, they had the whole ICC modeling system. So I would go test there, see if we can find something that works. Go back to Port Elizabeth, work on it for about three or four weeks, and then go back and test. So it was back and forth probably for you know, three or four, five months. And Cricket South Africa, they were great in that whole situation because those tests aren't cheap and they would um, 
fly me to Cape Town, fix it, then, you know, keep trying different things. So it, it took a while, but, you know, looking back in that time, it definitely, um, you know, strengthened me mentally to, to get through all of those things. Um, it certainly helped my bowling too, in a way, because bowling seemed to spin. It, it was basically just slowing my action down. And, um, you know, then working and remodeling over such a long time, it was probably a three, four year period where every game, even when you're playing, you don't really look at the highlight itself. You look at your action. Every time you come up on the screen, you look at what it looks like. So that was, you know, a three, four year thing. And then um, I would say early 2012, um, you know, I felt that it was at its best. And, and you know, that's how I played till 2020. And um, yeah, it was a long period to get through. But, um, you know, like I said, two things that strengthened my bowling and it certainly strengthened, uh, you know, me mentally and, and probably helped me to become a captain later. I was going to ask you, and I want to talk about that captaincy as well shortly. I was going to ask you, I suppose, during that period, how were you as a person? And I suppose even uh, with your faith through that time as well, was your faith obviously helping you you get through those maybe tough times that you did have? Yeah, it was helping, but it wasn't always smooth and plain sailing. You know, there were a lot of frustrating days where you think, you know, why is it happening to me? Um, Kind of just go away because once it's there, it never goes away. There's always someone who makes a comment, um, you know, opposition, someone on the street, you know, a people you don't even know that always makes a little comment and then it makes you think about it again. And, you know, you think, oh, is it better? Is it not better? You know, the, the match referees are still watching me. The umpires are watching me. Um, so, yeah, it definitely wasn't easy and plain sailing. Um, I think Monica had to deal with a lot of ups and downs over that time. Um, but yeah, looking back, it, it's like people say, things happen for a reason and it certainly helped with the outcome, you know, the overall bowling three, four, five years down the line when I felt that my action was at its best and I can just compete again. And then, like I said, mentally it probably strengthened me to take up a leadership role because by that time, I felt my game was in, in such a space that I didn't have to really overtrain or worry too much about my own game, but I could worry about all my teammates. Mm. And I think that's sort of a, a thing that I've always tried to do as, as a captain, as a leader, as a coach, to make sure that everyone in the team is okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that certainly helped me to, you know, for a three or four-year period, the focus was all on my action. But after that, the focus was sort of, you know, can I take care of everyone in the team and make sure that everyone's ready to play? Because I felt my my game was in a good space. And um, you talked about that captaincy, captain of the South African ODI and T20 teams. Uh, obviously, a proud moment for you leading your country. Yeah, that was a huge moment. You know, that sort of the first time it ever happened was Graham had an injury, or it was like against a. A uh, smaller team in, in world cricket. I think it was Kenya or Zimbabwe. And, and you know, some like Callis, Graham Smith, those guys all had a, a serious break. Um, and yeah, that's that's when I got my first opportunity. Really enjoyed it. I, I did it a little bit through school growing up. Um, and then underage cricket did it, you know, here and there, bits and pieces. Um, and, and underage trials and things like that. So I've, I've always enjoyed it. 
Um, and then obviously it's, it's a little bit more, you know, high pressure, but I still enjoyed it. You know, I, I enjoyed sort of being in control, working things out in your head, how it should play out, how you want to use your, your bowlers throughout an inning. So, you know, I enjoyed all of that and, and you know, the sort of added to, to the game for me. When you talked about obviously when to use bowlers and what have you, when you are, say, fielding and, and you're obviously the fielding captain, do you have a plan going into that side of the game in terms of when you're going to use particular bowlers or is it a sort of a, you know, depending on who's batting, do you sort of chop and change on the fly as well? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think you have a rough framework. You sort of have the, and I still like to do it now as a coach, you know, the, whoever is captain of the team, almost give them a breakdown of the first six overs and the last five and, you know, try and get our best options in those two phases of the game because obviously the power play up front guys are looking to, you know, take advantage. And then the death overs, if you haven't got many wickets down, it's just chaos and the ball's flying everywhere. So, you know, try and set up those two little phases and then throughout the middle overs, you know, 7 to 15, I think that's where you can make it up. If you need a wicket, you bring your strike bowler on. If someone's bowling really well or putting on a good squeeze, you keep that guy going for that extra over. Um, but yeah, that framework can obviously change. You know, someone in the power play might get two wickets in an over and he was only scheduled to bowl only the third over, for example. But then you give him the fifth over as well. Um, and it was, I think last night in an RPL game, Mohamed Sami bowling four over straight in, you know, one, three, five and seven. And I don't think that's in the plan for anyone. But when it's your night and you've got four for ten, um, then you obviously want to go with it. So... You know, you've got the framework, but it can change. It's halftime, and what we love to do at halftime here on the FLS podcast is to ask our guests a whole bunch of fun, quick questions. My special guest today is former international cricketer from South Africa, Johan Boata. Here we go. My first question is, what is your favourite cricket ground? Adelaide Oval. When batting, the bowler you least like to face? Uh, Andrew Flintoff. When on tour, who was your messiest teammate? Oh, messiest. Um, Mornay Morkel. Okay. Uh, why? Oh, it's just stuff lying everywhere. You know, I like to be pretty organised, know where all my stuff is, my gloves, pads, especially when you bat second. So when you're running off the field, um, innings break in T20 cricket is pretty short it happens quickly and um, I didn't like stuff lying all over the place I like my stuff well set out and I know where everything is uh, My son and I have been watching the test the series that was on the Australian cricket team and just seeing some of the vision in their dressing room being very messy, is that cricket changing rooms in general, are they always like that? Uh yeah, I think so. I think in a in a longer format game, as the game goes on, stuff just gets thrown around, and you know you you just put stuff down. You, know, you get out, you put your stuff down, and then before you know it, you've moved stuff to a different seat. And I just didn't like that. I like to know that all my stuff was in one area, um, and I didn't want to look for stuff. I never felt like I wanted to to rush and you know quickly put your pads on. Okay, I don't have the two gloves the same gloves and my bat grip isn't the way I want it to be I just wanted all my stuff to be ready my boots to be ready yeah that was just me next question and I'm always keen to find out this information 
but which cricket ground that you've played at has the best meals or catering, you know, say, you know, the best lunch? Lords in London. What did you have, can we ask? Oh, I think that day was like prawns and, yeah, it's like a menu. It's basically five-star menu. You've got two or three options. You pick what you want. There's starters, there's desserts. That's probably the ground where you want to be 12th man. <laughs> Very nice. Other than cricket, other sports uh, that you're good at? Um, I wasn't too bad at golf. I've you know, played a bit of golf when I was on tour, but in the last five years, haven't hit a ball. Um, played okay rugby, rugby union, and um, I, would, I wouldn't say I'm a great ultra runner, but you know, I, I certainly enjoy it. I, I enjoy putting in the work. I think that's the thing with long distance running. You've got to enjoy the training as well. And um, I do enjoy the training, so, yep. Adelaide is an AFL city. Do you follow the Crows or Port Adelaide? Uh, out of those two, probably more the Crows. Um, who is the best player that you've played with? Uh, probably two players, A.B. de Villiers and Jack Ellis. Mm -hmm. uh, you're inviting me over for dinner at your place. What are you cooking? I love Mexican. <laughs> so I'll have to find something Mexican. <laughs> okay. Um, we, we know that you're living now in Adelaide. If I was coming to visit, what would be the first place you'd take me to on a tour? Um, Mount Lofty. Okay. Good views. So it's a good view of the city. And, um, you know, that's why I go and do a lot of my trail running is uh, in Cleland. And last question. Now, when you're batting and you're out there with your teammates, what do you guys actually talk about in the overbreak? Uh, I'm always <laughs> intrigued to know. Is, is it tactics or is it just what are you having for lunch? Oh, it depends. Four day cricket, it can get very dragged out. I've seen guys that don't even meet halfway. You know, some guys are just so in their bubble that they just stay at either end of the pitch. But that doesn't happen often. But I like quite like the connecting. I, I enjoyed that, you know. Always still on track, especially in you know short form cricket and one day cricket. You know what's the run rate like? Are we on track? Do we need to take a risk? Um, who's bowling? Who do we think is still going to bowl? Sort of the next two, three, four overs. Do we need to take a risk a bit earlier? So, for example, you're playing against Sri Lanka and they've got Malinga bowling in the last three or four overs. You probably got to take your risk a little bit earlier. Um, so it's things like that. It's just to try and stay that one step ahead. Um, of the game and it doesn't always come off the way you hope but um, I think that's the, the thing that I sort of try to speak about with, with my batting partners. FLS is supported by Mission Partner Fellowship of Christian Athletes. FCA's vision is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. FCA is for those involved with sport at all levels, ages and abilities to the elite standard. Contact FLS to find out ways that you can be engaged, equipped and empowered to live for Jesus and outreach in your sporting world. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the heart and soul of sport. For more details, head to faithlifesport.com. Well, that wraps up halftime on today's episode of the FLS podcast. It's time to get back out on the field for the second half with today's special guest, former South African international cricketer, Johan Boata. And I want to talk shortly about, as you, you mentioned, you, you've moved into coaching and obviously then uh, you're now, I suppose, part of the journey on with your family that you're in Australia. But can we go back 
to, to your faith, if that's okay, please. You mentioned coming to faith around uh, when you were 17, 18. Were you able with your faith to be open with your other teammates? And, and I suppose with touring a lot and traveling the world as a cricketer, how were you able to sort of connect, I suppose, maybe back into your, your church in South Africa whilst away on tour? Yeah, that, good questions. I, th- I think, um, you know, with the church, it's, it's staying connected, but, you know, it wasn't online calls and like it is these days. Now with COVID, it's really opened up. You can follow, you know, basically any church anywhere in the world. But, you know, sort of 2000 to 2011, 12, it wasn't a lot of that. So whenever I was in Port Elizabeth, you know, then you, you make the effort and you obviously you go to church and you catch up with people. And, but I think the South African team as a whole, you know, th- there were some guys there that, that went through a bit of a thing with, with the Hansi situation, you know, guys who, who really took a knock throughout that time. And um, so I don't think fight was the biggest thing in the, in the team at, at that stage. Um but I must say it really lifted with the JP Dumini, Faf Duplessis, um, AB, Mornay. Um, but unfortunately for me, those guys all played most of the cricket when I'd left. So, you know, we grew up together. But when I stopped in 2012, they still all played together till 2018. So I missed six years, basically, of playing with sort of my age group and my mates. So that's the one thing I regret probably a little bit. Um is playing with those those guys. Um, you know, I've seen some of the things they've done, you know, people they've seen, you know, Hillsong, and they've gone all over the world and, and stuck together as a group. Um, so, yeah, I definitely missed out on that side of it. And um, But, yeah, it, it definitely, I don't want to sound like it's all been smooth and plain sailing and it just, you know, you're a professional sportsman and, it, and it's easy and, you know, there's no... Um, test temptations along the way, you know, all of those things are certainly there. Um, and yeah, your faith, your faith gets tested, especially in, in, you know, when you feel you're on a low, you know, it, sometimes I think we get caught up with performance based mm. and you feel, okay, I'm down in the dumps here. I'm not performing. I'm not getting wickets. I'm not getting runs. Um, so yeah, those are little tests along the way, which you, you know, you just got to remind yourself every now and then that, uh, yeah, help someone make it some, you know, about someone else. Um, so yeah, just try and, and shift that focus and not be self-absorbed and, oh, it's all about me and what I'm doing and my performances. Um, moving on now, you're now living in Australia with your family. Um, you moved out here. Was it initially to, to play in the Big Bash or how did your, your move to Australia come about? It was to play in both or not both formats, three formats. So it was to play for the Redbacks in the Shield and the One Day Comp, and then to play for the Adelaide Strikers in in the Big Bash. And initially we came over with just for two years. That was the plan. We were going to come for two years, um, go back to South Africa and, and, you know, carry on as we were sort of thing. But um, there was an option of the third year in the contract. We took that. And then we were so close that, you know, one of the, the ladies at Migration said, why don't you just stay another year and become citizen of Australia? And, and, and in that time, Austin went to school. And I think that's where everything sort of changed that, you know, we really enjoyed school year, the way school was run. Um, Austin was really happy at school. Ashley was born in Australia. And um, 
you know, slowly but surely things start sort of moving this way. I know our family is still in South Africa. You know, that's the one sort of negative of it all. But the four of us, you know, we settled here. And if I have to work anywhere in the world with living in Australia, you know, it's quite a bit away from everything, but it's easy enough for me to commute and, and to travel to different parts of the world when required. Um, like Pakistan was pretty easy. Um, you know, if you go to India, New Zealand, all those places, if you, if you need to, you can. Um, so, yeah, we, we're very happy in Adelaide. It's, it's a similar size to Port Elizabeth population, you know, land size, it's coastal. Um, so, yeah, we, we're very happy in Adelaide. And now that you've been here for a while, and I'm, I'm assuming you're naturalised citizens, when Australia plays South Africa, who do you guys follow? Or you sort of, <laughs> do you have like a, a jersey half with each, half South African, half Australian? Uh, no, not really. Tom Moody gave me good advice on that one day. I was, I was coaching with him at uh, PSL and he said to me, you always support the team you played for till one of your family plays for the other, for, the, for your new nation. So, you know, if Austin plays for Australia one day, then I think it will shift. But he said, the team that you played for, that's the team you should support. So that made it easy for me and, and I'll stick with that. <laughs> Does your son have ambitions to play cricket for Australia? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. Uh, he's, you know, he's very techy and he enjoys his fitness type of things, you know, like running and bike riding and things like that. But he hasn't really taken up team sports yet. We want to talk about the coaching, obviously, when you finished your, your domestic cricket career here in Australia. Um, you talked about um, the Adelaide Strikers. I believe you've been involved in the coaching staff with them and um, with uh, the PSL team. Uh, in over there in Pakistan, um, you've obviously done coaching for a few years now. What do you enjoy about that? Um, yeah, I've, I've done s- sort of different parts of coaching. You know, early days I was still playing, and I and I was assistant coach with Dean Jones at PSL, Tom Moody at PSL, and then Dean Jones again. So then you learn from you know very experienced coaches, and and you see how they go about things. And then you, the odd time you get the, the the opportunity to be the head coach. Um, and I enjoy both sides of it. You know, I enjoy working under someone and, you know, sort of the framework for the team is set out. And this is what we're going to do today. And we, I want you to do this, this and this. But I also like doing that side of it, you know, setting up the, the training for today. What are we going to do? Are we going to train? You know, we might have played two or three games in four days. Um, actually, today we're going to take a day off. Um you know, I think as a head coach, you obviously then need to take care of the staff as well, where when you're an assistant, you're just part of the staff, but you only worry about the players. So as a head coach, that group just gets bigger. Um, but still, I don't mind either of them. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've been at the PSL now six years. Um, I've done strikers this last big bash. Uh, did CPL for three years, Caribbean Premier League. So, you know, I've enjoyed my time so far. And like I said, the good thing for me was I started doing it while I was still playing. You know, these guys gave me opportunities um, to sort of work under them and learn from very experienced coaches um, before sort of my time started. Coaching and being a part of cricket in different parts of the world. You've got Australia, Pakistan, West Indies, um, obviously getting some, some different, um, I don't know the word, but uh, experiences, I suppose, uh, in that as well. Oh, yes. Uh, there's, uh, there's some very different experiences. Obviously, Caribbean, very laid back. 
um, you know, the guys of just as you see them, you know, they're very <laughs> relaxed and just go about the, the business. Um, Pakistan, obviously different um, culture, Muslim culture. So, you know, very disciplined, um, obviously with a praying every day before practice, during practice, after practice. So very disciplined um, society. And then, you know, Australia, I think with Australia, it's just I've got used to playing with all these guys. Um, so I, I sort of know the setup. I haven't gone back to South Africa now in a while. So I would like to do that at, at some stage. Um, you know, they've got some tournaments now getting bigger and bigger with the IPL teams having some influence in their domestic T20 tournament. Um, and then there's a new one starting in America in July. So it's, it's called Major League Cricket. So hopefully I'll be, can be involved in, in that one. Um, and yeah, again, you know, getting new experiences, learning from different players, coaches. Um, and yeah, just continue to learn, I suppose, is, is the way to try and do it. And just going back to your faith, I suppose, now that you're traveling the world a lot more in that coaching capacity, uh, you, we, we talked on, obviously, years ago when you were a player, connecting back into your local church was a bit harder. I'm guessing much easier these days. You can be a part of online church. Can you do that whilst you're still away? Yes, definitely. I, you know, while I was now in Pakistan, my wife would send me the morning online link um, Sunday morning from CFC yeah, in, in Adelaide. And um, yeah, it makes it a whole lot easier. And, and then, you know, there's obviously these days Bible apps and, and things that you can tap into daily sort of readings, reminders. Um, so yeah, you can definitely be more on top of it um, with all the online, you know, coverage and, and bases there is. So that certainly helps to, um, to stay you know, connected while you're away. And are there maybe any other players on various teams or, or coaches that maybe you can, um, you know, fellow Christians that you can sort of, I suppose, connect with as well whilst you're away? Um, in Pakistan, obviously, way less. Yes, so yeah. No. Um, but I must say the Caribbean, we had a really good group in Guyana, you know, the support staff, the players. and um, I don't think it's just our team that did it, but a lot of the teams there, like, say a prayer before every game. Or and after every game, you know, for being safe, kept safe. Um, so I found that great, you know, guys just connecting before and after each training session, you know, link arms or. Um, so you know th that was great for Guyana. I could see other teams doing something similar, but you know, I was in the in, in the Guyana group and we had a, a really you know good thing going there, um, and and the guys were really good with it. They you know would talk now and then about certain things that happened um but yeah for me it was great to see just a team connecting before and after every game or practice and if you lose you know that was still you know what was done we you know we would still link up and, and finish the night the right way i suppose that sounds good. And uh, one more quick thing, I suppose something else that you're involved with and, and you were sharing just before we started this chat is marathons or ultras, uh, obviously long runs. Can you share yeah. with us about what is all this about? Um, I think it sort of stop, started with, while I was playing, I, I used to ride my bike a lot. Um, so it wasn't very much the impact stuff, the running. I felt like I ran enough on the field. And then 
sort of the last four or five years of my career when I was only playing Big Bash, which was only December, January, I felt from Feb to October, I had to do something a little bit more. And that's sort of where the, the ultra distance running started. I felt it needed to be a hard because I wanted the challenge. And um, it sort of hardens your mind, your body a little bit for the cricket season. Um, and then, you know, you start with a half marathon and then you think, oh, that wasn't too bad. I'll go to a marathon. And it's just sort of developed from there. And, and now I'm into, it's called Backyard Ultra. So it's basically a 6.7K loop. And you start on the hour, every hour, till there's one person remaining. So there's no finish line. Oh, wow. It's basically just a mental and physical test to see how long you can go, how far you can push yourself. And um, yeah, I've got one coming up in Queensland. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can, I can go for a, hopefully a couple of days. That would be great. Um, because with that format, if you do 24 hours, that's 100 miles. So every day is basically 100 miles. So, you know, there's guys in the world that have gone to 76 hours plus. And the, the current world record is 101 hours. So there's guys out there, the elites have gone, you know, massive numbers. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm training and, and hopefully putting in the work to, to maybe not get there, but to push myself to, to sort of my limit. That is very impressive. Well done. Well done. Um, <laughs> now, one last question. Just going back to what you're doing now in coaching, I saw a video online in preparation for our chat today. It was from uh, a couple of years ago uh, with you coaching Guyana in the Caribbean Premier League. And in that video, you got quite emotional. I think it was with one of the younger players in the team. I think he'd made a number of runs. Is that you with coaching, I suppose, more in developing players and seeing how they're progressing? Does that spur you on and encourage you to teach those kids to do well in their cricket? Yeah, I think with that situation, that specific situation, to give a little bit of background, um, it was a player who played for one of the other teams for probably three or four years. Um, his name is Brandon King. So mm -hmm. he's Jamaican, but he played for, I think, since Kits. And he was sort of a middle-order player. And then at the draft, I sort of pushed hard for him to be, to be our opening batsman. So, you know, that was the push. I convinced the owner, the manager of the team, listen, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's give him a fair opportunity. And that was the semifinal that he made 100 plus. I think he made 120. And it was sort of, for me, it was more that, I wouldn't say relief, but I took a lot of, you know, flack from the side and, and people questioning why did we buy him for such a high amount and as an opening batsman, because he had never opened the batting in T20 cricket. And, you know, I, I think, that's sort of what, what showed in that little clip. And then since then, he's opened the batting for the West Indies in T20 cricket. So that was nice to see. I think the thing with franchise T20 tournaments, it's hard to develop players, like working with them for four, five, six months of the year as in a state system. You basically get there. You've got a week of prep and then you're straight into the tournament. So it's basically, can we get our game plan sorted? And then um, can the guys execute the game plan? And so there's not a lot of technical coaching that really goes on. It, it's more getting the team on board with the game plan and then can the guys execute it and play it? And, you know, if there's guys who are struggling throughout the tournament, it's selection changes and, and you know, trying to make the right decisions. That, that's basically 
franchise cricket summed up. I was going to say, with with more and more of these bobbing up around the world, you talked about um, this new American competition starting real soon. I suppose in terms of development of players, could that be to the detriment sometimes? And I know you're involved with you know various franchises around the world, but as you said, you don't get that longer period to say develop an an up and coming player as you would say in a you know a domestic say Sheffield Shield side as such. Yeah. I think it it might at some point, you know, show up a little bit. I think the biggest, I shouldn't say issue, but is when players are that little bit out of form is what do they fall back on? And some of the guys who've only played T20 cricket, they don't really have a fallback. They just think, well, I'm just going to swing harder, try and muscle the ball away and get out of the fence and then just get into a deeper and deeper hole. But I still think that the best players who've played all formats know how to get out of that little form slump. And, um, you know, still Avira Kohli is a good, very good player. Avi de Villiers was an excellent T20 player, but they were great test players. Steve Smith, same. Um, Faf Duplessis, you know, some of the England test players, um, you know, Ben Stokes, Josh Butler, those guys are all obviously very good T20 players, but they learned their game quite rounded. So they, they learned you know, four-day cricket, one-day cricket, it's, it's all a different pace. Um, so I'm just a little bit worried sometimes these young guys look at those players and think, well, I just want to be them. But they forget about all the groundwork. It was putting like Chris Gale's probably the biggest example. Mm. Everyone saw him in his last four, five, six years of his career just smashing it in T20s. But the guy's got a test triple hundred. So he can obviously play. He learned his craft over a long period of time playing four-day cricket, test cricket, one-day cricket, and then enjoyed sort of the benefits at the end where I think a lot of these young guys these days just want to jump in straight at T20 and only play T20. And they don't really have a fallback when things don't go their way. I do see a little bit. Um, I try and coach my son's under 13 side. I, I, I have no cricketing background myself in terms of playing. I love the game, but uh, I yeah. try and coach. And you see, in in as you mentioned, even with the younger kids, um, they just want to go out there. You know, they do watch a lot of big bash and what have you, and they just want to try and slog every ball. Whereas yeah. it's not not that all the time. No, it's not. And and you know, even. In a 20-over space, you've still got time, more time than you think. Um, you know, there's some of the, the really good players that say that almost at every team meeting, guys, you've got more time than you think because you see guys panic and get rushed. And quite often you run out of wickets before you run out of overs. And by that, I mean when you're sort of six, seven down, you've run out of wickets. Your number 9, 10, 11 is not getting you 10, 11 runs and over. So... You know, you've still got more time. There's quite often where guys sit on the side, you know, your, num- your top six and think, if I was only there still, we would have won this. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of because of that fast forward mode, everyone just wants to keep going and, and, you know, hit the ball all over the park. But there's still place, I think, for that skill to, you know, get into an innings, get yourself 10 off 10, and then you start, you know, accelerating your game from there. And obviously, as well, uh, looking into the future of cricket, there's still a place for all three formats in terms of test, ODIs, and, and T20s as well. Definitely, and, and, I, and I hope so. I think that the 50-over format's the one that probably will get the most pressure. Mm. Um, 
but then you have a great World Cup like the one in England, and you know everyone's loving it, and then you know England won it in their own country, and and things like that. So that's great for the game. Um, but yeah, for a little bit there, you felt that I I felt that the 50 over game was the one under pressure. You know, Test cricket. Luckily, you still have guys like Coley, Steve Smith, who, who still, you know, pump the game up and, and talk it up. And, you know, this is still the greatest format. This is where we want to make our most runs or biggest runs. Um, so hopefully the young guys are, are listening to those comments. And, um, you know, don't just look at a big bash or an IPL and, and things like that. So, you know, hopefully there's still space for all three. Um, still for quite a, quite a while. And, um you know, guys can still develop their games in all three formats. Well, Johan Baita, uh, thank you very much for your time chatting with me today. Not a problem. You're welcome. Well, thanks for joining me on today's episode of FLS. If there's anyone in your part of the world you'd love me to chat with, please get in touch for more details. Just head to faithlifesport.com. And I look forward to you joining me once again next time. We're back out on the field together hearing about the faith, life and sport of past and present Christians in sport on FLS. FLS is supported by mission partner Fellowship of Christian Athletes. FCA's vision is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. FCA is for those involved with sport at all levels, ages and abilities to the elite standard. Contact FLS to find out ways that you can be engaged, equipped and empowered to live for Jesus and outreach in your sporting world. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the heart and soul of sport. For more details, head to faithlifesport.com.